My last tip from a dietary standpoint, if I were going to name some of the top ones that stand out, would be paying attention to the gut-brain axis. And there's just so much research that seems to be coming out right now on the supportive aspects of polyphenol consumption on gut-brain function and gut-metabolism function, meaning you know everything from uh, polyphenols that help to feed acromantia, which helps to control blood sugar and maintains a healthy gut metabolism axis, to polyphenols for reducing permeability of the blood-brain barrier, to polyphenols for increasing the postbiotics that the bacteria in your gut produce that often are assisting with neurotransmitter formation. Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights. Hi, I'm Dr. Gregory Kelly. Before we get into this week's episode, I'm excited to share some information on a new product I helped formulate called Qualia Symbiotic. As a naturopathic physician, one of the most common concerns among my patients has always been gut and digestive health. In fact, recent survey data indicates approximately 40% of Americans experience digestive health discomfort on at least a monthly basis. But digestion is just one part of gut health. Did you know your gut also contains millions of neurons? It forms a two-way communication pathway with your brain called the gut-brain axis that affects your mood and brain performance. Your gut health is also crucial to immune health, optimal nutrient absorption, and even your aging process. In creating Qualia Symbiotic, I worked with the Neurohacker Science team to factor in a far broader range of considerations than just digestion alone, to create an all-in-one formula supporting the full picture of gut health. The 28 gut health superfoods and ingredients in Qualia Symbiotic includes spore-form probiotics, psychobiotics that are ideal for supporting healthy brain performance, along with prebiotics, postbiotics, and fermented foods. And unlike many gut health products, Symbiotic is shelf-stable with no refrigeration needed. It's also non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and FODMAP-friendly. Add one scoop a day and a glass of water for comprehensive gut health support without the hassle and effort of a complicated gut health regimen. Go to neurohacker.com slash insights15 to try Symbiotic risk-free for 100 days experience the difference that total gut health support can make. That's Qualia Symbiotic at neurohacker.com slash insights15 to start supporting the full picture of gut health. Hello, this is Dr. Greg. I'll be today's host on Collective Insights Podcast. And with me today, we have a returning guest, Ben Greenfield. Ben's a human performance consultant, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of 13 books including his book, Boundless, Upgrade Your Brain, Optimize Your Body, and Defy Aging. Today's emphasis, I think, is going to be mostly on brain nootropics and longevity because that's something that you know Ben excels at and I've got to hear him speak about several times. Oh, cool. That sounds like a fun topic. Great. Well, an area I want to <laughs> dive right into is um, the brain. And um, I think it's chapter two. But one of your early chapters in the book, really, the focus is on what I would think of as more dietary impacts on brain performance, cognition. So, you know, maybe we can just start there and talk about a few things like, you know, Mediterranean diet, some foods to eat more of and some ones to be 
a little bit careful of getting in your diet? Well, certainly it depends on your genetic makeup. I mean, we know that people who carry a certain variant of the ApoE4 gene are going to be very highly prone to an inflammatory response to saturated fats, particularly when it comes to both permeability of the blood-brain barrier, as well as just general inflammation in neuronal tissue. So that would be an example of a population that would want to preferably 10% or less of their total fat intake from saturated fats and instead prioritize a lot of the monounsaturated fats you know, and omega-3 fatty acids that you'd find in something like a Mediterranean diet. Um, I think that when it comes to a diet particularly, there's a few things to think about beyond that. The first is that if you look at the myelin cheese, their fatty acid makeup is primarily a combination of DHA and oleic acid, right? Dosaxanoic acid and oleic acid. And that would dictate that for that component of neural function, you'd want to have good intake of absorbable bioavailable sources of DHA. I don't think it's any secret that the, um, the omega-3 fatty acids found in many seeds and nuts and plant-based sources of omega-3s have somewhat poor conversion into DHA. I would say probably an exception to that would be like algal sources, you know, algae-based sources of omega-3s. But besides that, you know, you're looking at supplementing with fish oil, eating a wide variety of clean uh, fatty fish, meaning fish low in toxins and metals. And even though, of course, like walnuts and olive oil and avocados and some of the other brain-supporting foods certainly should be in the diet, you're not going to get appreciable amounts of DHA from those. You will get, you know, especially from olive oil and avocado oil, good amounts, and, and olives and avocados, really, good amounts of oleic acid, the other fatty acid that you're looking for. But I would say uh, the first thing, besides just knowing whether or not a high intake of saturated fats might be harmful for you from a genetic standpoint due to your ApoE variant, it would be prioritizing DHA and oleic acid. I would also... If I were to just going to name three things to start off with, just so we're not throwing too much at people, the other things I would think about would be, first of all, limiting intake of meals that would cause an appreciable surge in lipopolysaccharides, which are essentially, you know, you could consider them to be almost like endotoxins that can result also in permeability of the blood-brain barrier and inflammation of neural tissue and impairment of cognitive function. They are primarily triggered in terms of their accumulation and also their passage into the bloodstream from high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods or alcohol. So this would be your classic like burgers, fries, and a beer type of scenario. I know there's a lot of people in the health sector who are being pretty careful with that type of dirty nutrition approach, but I do know a lot of people, you know, even healthy people who go out to the steakhouse and hit the bread basket and have the fatty ribeye and have a martini before dinner and maybe a glass of wine with dinner. And you do need to be very careful with that approach, especially when regularly done just because of the significant rise in lipopolysaccharides. And when you do happen to go out for a social event like that, I recommend something like activated charcoal intake, uh, arguably five to six grams of glycine 
or spirulina. And then finally, I would say my last tip from a dietary standpoint, if I were going to name some of the top ones that stand out, would be paying attention to the gut-brain axis. And there's just so much research that seems to be coming out right now on the supportive aspects of polyphenol consumption on gut-brain function and gut metabolism function, meaning, you know, everything from uh, polyphenols that help to feed acromantia, which helps to control blood sugar and maintains a healthy gut metabolism axis, to polyphenols for reducing permeability of the blood-brain barrier, to polyphenols for increasing uh, the postbiotics that the bacteria in your gut produce that often are assisting with neurotransmitter formation. So when I say polyphenols, I'm primarily, if we're going to go direct to the best sources, referring to like the the blacks, the purples, the reds, and the real dark colors of the plant kingdom. Great. Well, one of the things I just want to point out for the people listening that may not have read Boundless is something I liked a lot about it is you point out not just do this, do this. Um, it's very qualitative. You're, a lot of the advice is finding the best quality of things, like some of the food sources you just met, which I think we need more of that type of clear guidance. And I'd love to talk a bit more about polyphenols because they're something um, near and dear to my heart. And Akamansia is a project we've been working on at Moore oh, really? and um, actually embedded Akamansia support in our quality symbiotic. Um, so a couple different things. So polyphenols, um, you know, one that you didn't mention, but that I know has been studied quite a bit for Akamansia support is green tea extracts, yeah. the catechins in that. And then not studied so much for Akamansia, but, you know, a big contributor to polyphenols in the, the diet generally for many people is good quality cocoa. Yeah. Green tea and chocolate, also the dark greens, you know, dark browns. That's a really good point, Greg. And I'm glad you brought that up. Now, when it comes to Akramantia, are you guys actually creating a product that contains Akramantia or that contains Akramantia supporting compounds? The reason I ask that is, you know, not to get too inside baseball, but you're no doubt aware of Colleen Cutcliffe, who I interviewed on my podcast, and she has that company Pendulum. And she was saying that, you know, they're one of the few companies in the world, apparently, who can like produce Akramantia in an oxygen-free environment based on their lab and their, you know, replication of the human gut with giant tubes and things like that. And, you know, it got me wondering if there's any other companies making Acromantia. You might know this, if they hold the patent on that, or what is the deal with Acromantia in food products or supplements? Yeah. Right now? So that's a great question. So um, we actually currently have a product designed as part of it. Um, it's called Symbiotic to boost Acromantia. It's one of the things it's designed to do. And because of that, it's got a 10-berry blend. So the berries you just mentioned, all fermented. It's also got a resistant starch that's been studied to significantly raise Akamansia. Um, and Akamansia, live Akamansia, like the Pendulum product, wouldn't work in a scoopable powder like that because it's it's very susceptible to oxygen and yeah. no one knows its stability in that mix. But we've meanwhile been working on a live Akamansia product that um, we're still in the R&D phase. But um, Pendulum was the first um, live that I'm aware of in terms of bringing a product to market. Um, in parallel, there's a European company called the Akamansia Company 
that if you were to, you know, PubMed, Google, Akamansia, Placebo, you'd come up with their study. And and because of um, European requirements, theirs is a pasteurized product. So Hedgehog's okay. been the only live. Um, and I think it was the beginning of August, a company approached Neurohacker and said that they created the technology to do a live one and wanted us to be among the first companies they would introduce it to. So we've been since then working on, you know, is, um, are there things we could do with it that would act to also boost it? And polyphenols, I think of polyphenols as very prebiotic, like okay. prebiotics with a twist. And they're among the best things for promoting acromantia abundance. Now, it's my understanding that when you use a word like symbiotic, that rather than probiotic, that refers to a probiotic packaged up with the food for the probiotic, the prebiotic, and then potentially even some of the postbiotic compounds. Is that the general definition of symbiotic? Yeah, symbiotic, it's now split. There's kind of two things woven into that. So one would be the live organism and food for the live organism. So something that was, you know, the, a specific prebiotic for it. Another, and it's still like a fair definition, is something, a live organism and something that boosts other organisms. So a symbiotic doesn't have to be something that, you know, per se would, like as an, an example, Acromantia's favorite food are something called mucins, which I'm sure you know about, but our audience may not. And mucins would be things that our gut cells secrete into the environment around them to protect themselves. And Acromantia is kind of the, I think of it as the keystone species in that mucus um, area of our gut, and it kind of rules the roost. And it can actually coax the gut cells to produce more of that. So, you know, that wouldn't be something as a prebiotic that's easy to give directly. So the goal is to give things that either cause the system to make more, more mucins or to fortify the mucins. And where I would say polyphenols shine is they fortify it. So they change kind of the structure of the mucins and make it so the same amount of mucins can cause acromantia to thrive more. Yeah. And I mean, as you can imagine, a lot of this is not that difficult to weave in through the day. You know, a little dark chocolate and yogurt for dessert at night, some green tea with breakfast with a handful of blueberries in the smoothie, some purple cabbage or kimchi or sauerkraut, you know, with some black walnuts and some extra virgin olive oil and a little bit of avocado and olives at lunch. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of these things, once you start to identify the foods and have them in your refrigerator and weave them in on a daily basis are not only tasty, but you definitely notice the cognitive effect. When I want to go back to, because you had mentioned lipopolysaccharides, and um, we'll just use LPS if that's fine as an acronym for that. But um, for our audience, one of the big I guess sources of LPS is bacterial cell walls, like, you know, non-great bacteria or, you know, even healthy ones that may shed that. And it's one of the reasons leaky gut is an is issue, is more LPS get into circulation where they create the kind of havoc that was talking about, like brain barrier leakage and other things. So, you know, I think uh, old naturopathic truism was, you know, treat the gut, treat the liver, and a whole bunch of things improve yeah. from from there. And so I know fundamentally, you know, I know when, when Neurohacker at least created Qualia Symbiotic as our gut product, that was very much in our mind. We wanted to make sure that, that the gut was working well because all kinds of good things happen upstream of that, no matter what you eat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that I should also mention when it comes to LPSs, 
that if those have been something that your diet has been creating for quite some time, you probably have some element of permeable gut. And yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because if you look at like permeable blood brain barrier, um, I would say magnesium is one of the better ways to improve that, like taking magnesium at night before you go to bed. But as far as the gut's concerned, you know, I've seen good data on colostrum. You know, it's activated by the salivary enzymes in your mouth as far as the growth factors and immunoglobulins in colostrum. So taking like a scoop in the morning and a scoop in the evening that you swish around for about 30 to 60 seconds of like a powder or a capsule that you've broken open, I think that's a good idea. Uh, there's some good research on glutamine, like taking around five grams of glutamine powder with breakfast and lunch and dinner for a series of weeks. And this would be kind of like a leaky gut protocol that I like. And then in addition to glutamine and colostrum, I'm a fan of bone broth, you know, around, you know, one to two cups a day of a real good gelatin rich bone broth. And then, you know, you've probably seen some of these now popping up, Greg, but uh, even though they are increasingly under scrutiny by the FDA, peptides can be effective. And BPC-157, you know, body protection compound, which can help a ton with leaky gut issues, that is still available and legal and not regulated as, as far as I know. Uh, for oral consumption. So VPC-157 is another one that I think is fantastic, especially if you've got a high load of lipopolysaccharides or you're trying to kind of heal up the gut. So that would be kind of like a, a trifecta, so to speak, the colostrum, the glutamine, and the bone broth. And then you could throw VPC-157 into the mix, take magnesium at night for the blood-brain barrier. And I think you're starting to kind of kind of uh, stop up the holes in the ship, so to speak. But, and colostrum is interesting. I just recently read a whole bunch of scientific studies on colostrum with leaky gut as a main area I looked at. And, um, you know, Ben's right on the money. It's one of the more studied things for that. And the context of most of the studies actually was in athletes, Ben, where they would, I mean, it's, you know, intense exercise, you know, like your 13 um, competitions <laughs> in Ironman typically will cause some at least transient leaky gut just because of the duress you're putting on the body. Um, and in that context, colostrum has been studied at least a handful of times and, you know, just preloading leading up to significant exercise made a huge impact on preventing that leaky gut. Yeah. Permeable gut in the presence of exercise or physical exertion. Uh, and a big part of this is due to the blood flow diversion away from the gut when the gut needs that for cooling. Uh, combined with exercise and the heat is a huge issue in athletes. It's one of the one of the reasons people get gastric distress during exercise, whether in a hot gym or a hot environment or you know in an Ironman or whatever. That's actually what first got me into colostrum was I was trying to figure out a way to consume you know 400 calories an hour while racing in Thailand, in California, in Florida, in Hawaii, and colostrum turned out to be a huge lifesaver for that. Not even during the event. Right, we're talking about leading up to the event, loading for about four weeks. And you're right, there's a lot of good research on it. Interestingly, like the the anti-colostrum, uh, the the you know the, the thing that would aggravate this issue that a lot of people will pop like candy during these events is non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, you know, like Advil, ibuprofen. So you know you you can almost create a septic or, or a sepsis-like state if you are consuming non-steroidal anti-inflammatories during exercise in the heat. 
And simultaneously, you can help to control or avoid that state. Well, I'm not endorsing ibuprofen or Advil during exercise. What I'm saying is if you've been doing that or if you just want to protect the gut during hard exercise in the heat, I think colostrum is fantastic. I think there's also a case to be made for, um, you know, and, and this is kind of niche down for endurance athletes who actually need to consume fuel. I think unless you're exercising for longer than about an hour and a half, at which point glycogen deprivation in the muscle, in the liver, et cetera, is going to start to set in. You don't have to worry that much about fueling during exercise unless you're trying to get swole, exercising at a very high intensity, and really pushing yourself. When I was racing Ironman, I also found the most easy to digest carbohydrate to support endurance for swimmers, cyclists, marathoners and runners, triathletes, etc. was a potato-based dextrin, like a glycofuse or Vitargo, or one of these starches that's broken down very easily, combined with three things, essential amino acids, ketones, and electrolytes. And that was kind of like my go-to fuel for racing. Good idea for a product for Qualia, if you can make it palatable, <laughs> mm-hmm. is uh, you know basically every hour, a serving of ketones, around 15 grams of essential amino acids, a serving of electrolytes, you know, like electrolyte powder that I'd stir into that blend, and then carbohydrates, but about a quarter of the amount of carbohydrates you'd normally consume during exercise, right? Normally we'd be talking about somewhere in the range of 250 to 400 grams of carbohydrates per hour for a hard charging endurance athlete. We're talking about bringing that down to about 100 grams per hour from a really easy to digest source like potato starch. And that's what I would put in my water bottle or my handlebar water bottle or the the little you know flask that I'd use on the marathoning race belt. And so that's kind of like the the secret sauce for endurance exercise. If anybody's listening and they're getting ready for like a marathon or an Ironman is you mix ketones, amino acids, some kind of like branch cyclic dextrin or potato dextrose or potato-based starch, and then uh, electrolytes. And that's like freaking rocket fuel. I think it's also going to work quite well for hydration. I mean, the electrolytes, obviously, for hydration. Yeah. um, You know, a bit of sugar is part of oral rehydration therapy that World Health Organization uses for severely dehydrated people. And then the aminos, there's, you know, some good evidence that they help pull fluid into the body. Although, you know, the caveat to that is at one point I calculated roughly the osmolality of that fluid. And even though you want about six to 8%, once you get all of that into a standard 24 ounce water bottle, it's closer to like 12 to 16%, depending on how much you mix it. And that can, anybody who's done like colonoscopy prep, for example, that's why it makes you poop and draws a bunch of water into the gut as you're drinking this super like sugary, salty solution that acts as a laxative. And that can happen if the osmolality of the drink you're consuming during exercise is too high. So generally for exercise in the heat, depending on the size of the person, you're looking at needing somewhere between about 30 and 40 ounces of water per hour to avoid dehydration over several hours. Fantastic. Well, Ben, I wanted to shift gears now and turn to something near and dear to my heart, but I think it's chapter three in Boundless was all about nootropics. So can you share a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on nootropics and things that you personally do? I know, you know, one of the things you 
called out in the book, which we really appreciated was you mentioned quality of mind. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, quality of mind, I consider that to be kind of like brain food. It's, I don't know if you like this, this description, but it's a little bit more of like a, a shotgun formula in terms of some things that enhance blood flow to the brain, some things that serve to quell a little bit of inflammation, some things that provide uh, choline and other nutrients to the brain and, you know, some different minerals and vitamins that support mental function, which is great. I mean, that's one of the examples of one of the better done for you blends out there. But when you step back and look at nootropics, it's kind of interesting. It literally translates into mind director, the word itself, nootropic. And usually uh, compared to smart drugs, which are often a little bit more synthetic and powerful, like a modafinil or an Adderall or something like that, uh, nootropics tend to often be a little more natural, a little less depleting, sometimes a little safer and less jittery inducing for a lot of folks. So let's say, for example, um, I am sleep deprived, right? For that, I would tend to use a slightly higher dose of creatine, right? Usually five grams of creatine per day is adequate, but you'd be looking at closer to 10 to 20 grams for something like sleep deprivation or neural function combined with a slightly higher dose niacinamide or NAD. Like, you know, you guys have a good NAD product at Qualia. Sometimes I'll use even higher dose with like a patch, uh, such as uh, Dr. Anthony Gusson has the company Ion Layer that do NAD patches to a suppository. And I think the patch or the suppository can almost be similar to getting an NAD IV with less hassle with needles and going to the doctor's office, et cetera. So I'll do sometimes oral plus a patch or suppository plus creatine if I'm sleep deprived and then just go straight to the more kind of like central nervous system stimulating compounds, particularly caffeine and nicotine. I'm not a fan of a lot of the delivery methods for nicotine. So I'll typically opt for a patch, you know, just like the basic patches you can get on Amazon that you'd use to quit smoking, for example, uh, with a good cup of coffee. I usually will throw a little bit of L-theanine in there, which kind of helps to extend the effects of the caffeine. And that would be like a sleep deprivation day, right? Caffeine, nicotine, theanine, NAD, creatine, right? That's a, that's a DIY stack for sleep deprivation or kind of pushing through when uh, maybe you're jet lagged or you've just gotten less sleep than desired. Another example would be a very small dose of LSD, like 10 to 20 micrograms, you know, and just for clarification, a trip dose is like a hundred micrograms plus, but LSD or psilocybin can be fantastic for a day that might involve creative writing, copywriting, you know, thinking in a little bit more of a lateral way and still putting in a decent work day. I should name that a lot of people tend to feel a bit exhausted at the end of the day from microdosing. And typically two things can help out with that. Uh, one is choline, like good source of alpha GPC or choline, which you can consider to be like brain fuel, you know, and you would also find it in fish, eggs, walnuts, the type of things that you would, you would eat regularly to support mental function anyways. And then uh, SAMe, uh, which is uh, basically uh, S-adenosylmethionine, and that can get a little bit more depleted when you're using a nootropic or a smart drug. And so taking a little bit of SAMe, a little bit of choline can be helpful. And also something that helps with uh, inflammation in the brain, particularly uh, two that I like would be N-acetylcysteine or glutathione. Okay. So now we've got like a creative day as a second example. So 
microdose of psilocybin with niacin and lion's mane or a microdose of LSD. And then you're adding in some choline, some SAMe, and some N-acetylcysteine or glutathione into the mix. And that would be that would be another example of like a DIY stack. So um, a couple of things. One, I tend to think of like focus, motivation, um, productivity to me is a core use case, at least for, you know, the neurohacker customers for nootropics. And when I think of what prevents focus, I think in general, there's kind of two different camps that people, you know, struggle from. One would be that, you know, somewhat lack of motivation, tough to get going, lethargy, that type of thing. The other is almost like their brain's too frenzied, right? So they need to get calmer to come to that point of focus. And I know when we created Qualia Mind, the goal was to make sure that it helped with, with both. But, you know, more recently we launched Qualia Resilience that's much more focused on that calming, anti-stress, taking that frenzied brain, moving it to a more centered place. And, you know, so we've seen you know, great things with that product. Now, now, just to interrupt you real quick, is that yeah. more of an, because I haven't tried that one yet. Is that more of an adaptogen blend, the Resilience? Yeah. Um, so a star player in it is ashwagandha, but we're using an ashwagandha called Nuganda. It's a, a branded one. And ashwagandha is interesting, like one of the best uh, adaptogens. And for some people, you know, like you'll see on Reddit, people describe it almost like kryptonite for motivation. Like it's too calming. Yeah. It makes them you know, like lose their, you know, um, and so Nuganda was created to get the good without getting that part. So they isolated certain compounds in it and then put it in a liposome. Um, and so that's one of the star players in it, something called Extramel, which is a cantaloupe extract. That's an SOD, stabilized SOD. Huh. So like a, an antioxidant. And then- You, know, you mean stab- stabilized uh, superoxide dismutase? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a French company that okay. did it and it's well studied and that's really an outstanding anti-stress thing. Um, um, yeah, so that's a great product, and it's one that um, really hasn't found its, I guess, grooves yet in terms of getting out there. But so I'll sometimes do that for a month instead of quality of mine. And what okay. I find is that that also like my productivity, motivation, rock. And you'd mentioned earlier with the creativity and the microdosing, how you know something that's not uncommon is at the end of the day people are kind of depleted, they're used up. And so I know when when we create stacks and when I evaluate them myself. You know, I'm, I care about, you know, how do I feel an hour or two later, but I more care about how am I doing at five or six. Yeah. Is a, a big part of, like, I just go back to my childhood. My dad, you know, commuted to and from Boston, crazy commute, hour and a half, two hours each way. You know, was a, worked eventually as a president of a 5,000 person company. So, you know, crazy, you know, high stress executive. And when he would get back at the end of the day, we would not get the best version of my dad in the first hour or two, right? He was just used it all up. And, you know, if we allowed him to, you know, shine his shoes, you know, work in his little hobby area of the garage, you know, uh, you know, have some dinner, we'd get a, a good version of my dad back. And I think mm-hmm. most of us, we often leave the best version of ourselves at work, right? We've just used up a yeah. lot of things. So when I think of nootropics, I, you know, like my, you know, part of my story is like, why take nootropics? Yeah, you want to be more productive, more focused, but you want to be the best version of yourself late in the day when you're around your loved ones. And that's, you know, where I think things like a good stack help in the short term, but help at the tail end of the day as well. 
Yeah, and we should probably give a head nod, kind of like we did with the gut, to peptides. I mean, again, even though the FDA has been kind of treating them with increasing scrutiny and regulating many of them or classifying them, there's a few that I think we should give a head nod to when it comes to the cognitive um, effects that they can have C-Max and C-Lank or two, and those are injectable, but I find that many of these peptides are better delivered intranasally. Uh, there are another couple that I actually started stacking a few weeks ago. I think I learned about these from Mr. Newts on Twitter. Uh, mm -hmm. One for some pretty significant brain repair, the other for almost a modafinil-like effect that doesn't last as long as modafinil, like we're talking about eight to 10 hours. And those two that I've been stacking, the former is called Atomax, and then the other one's called P21. And I got them from uh, Limitless Life Nootropics. I don't know if there's, if you can still get them from there. Uh, you can also check Can Labs or Peptide Sciences, for example. But P21 and Atomax, you know, I've stacked CMAX and C-Lank as intranasal peptides before. And the P21 Atomax stack seems to just blow that out of the water. So that's another one that I've been using a little bit lately that I like in the peptides department. And then um, the other one that I wanted to ask you about that's not a peptide, Greg, but that I keep coming back to over and over again that would fall into the adaptogen category that I use quite a bit in the afternoon, particularly like with lunch, because I like to take a little siesta or do like a neurofeedback or a meditation session or a hyperbaric session after lunch is a reishi and rhodiola. Have you looked into those or have you included them in, in resilience at all? Um, so rhodiola is in call your mind and I love rhodiola. Believe it or not, in um, so there used to be a journal called Alternative Medicine Review that stopped publishing around 2014, but they focused largely on you know, dietary supplements, natural medicine, things like that. And I used to contribute contribute an article once or twice a year. And back around 2002 or so, I did the first review article on PubMed um, on Rodeo. Oh, wow. So I, I've been a fan for a long time, used it in practice going back even to the, the mid to late 90s. Um, and Reishi, again, I love. It's something we put in Qualia Night as an example. At one point, we had an immune product that we've um, subsequently sunset, but Reishi was in that as well. I just think of it as a mushroom just shining in that area. I think in Chinese, they would say calms the shen, right? It's something yeah. that helps us to be more centered. It's you know thought of as a longevity promoting mushroom. So wonderful ingredients. Both yeah, yeah, reishi and rhodiola, or how you said reishi, I said reishi. Those are two things that I can take in the middle of the day that will allow me to calm down without feeling groggy afterwards like I might get from, say, CBD or melatonin or... GABA or 5-HCP or something like that. I should mention, though, we've been talking a lot about things you can eat or take, but there's a lot of cool biohacking technologies now that I think are really fantastic as far as brain function is concerned. Probably the most notable would be photobiomodulation, and there are so many ways to do that now. For example, you've probably seen them before. V-Lite is a company mm -hmm. that does intranasal and intracranial red light therapy at from a further basic home unit two different wavelengths 10 hertz and 40 hertz like an alpha frequency and a gamma frequency 
They also have a pro unit called the Neuro Pro that you can program for one hertz up to a hundred hertz. And I've been messing around with that one a little bit, you know, even going as high as a hundred hertz during meditation or during breath work, which just makes the brain feel like it's kind of makes the brain feel like it's working in overdrive, but at the same time, it's not exhausting. It's energizing. Uh, any type of red light therapy because of its interaction with photons of light can be enhanced with methylene blue. They also just came out with red light for the vagus nerve, which for people who want to work on their HRV or use something like that prior to sleep for a little bit more of a calming effect, or for people who have uh, digestive issues, which a lot of times, uh, you know, that, that's related to vagal nerve function just because it innervates so many of the organs in the gut. That one can be really helpful. But red light, particularly for the head, you know, especially based on the amount of research on the safety and efficacy of photobiomodulation within reason, too much and you're going to get excess reactive oxygen species and excess nitric oxide synthase. But within reason, red light therapy is one that I think anybody who's kind of considering nootropics and smart drugs should also consider. Um, and then I'm, I'm a huge fan also, and you go to some of the same conferences as me, Greg, so you've probably seen some of these uh, light sound stimulation machines that typically mm -hmm. combine like binaural beats with music, with either relaxing or energizing frequencies, with some form of light that stimulates either the photoreceptors in the eyes, photoreceptors in the ears, or both. Uh, brain tap is one. And I mean, that thing, I'm not even that hypnotizable. I forget the test where you roll your eyes in the back of your head. <laughs> and if your pupils disappear, it sometimes indicates you're hypnotizable. And if they don't, you're not. And I'm not. And yet when I put on that brain tap, especially if I do one of the sessions where it kind of like whisks you off to another world and you go on an adventure, I am on another planet within two minutes. And that can literally be, you know, having been in my email inbox 10 minutes prior or engaged in some other stressful event, there's... That, that thing just turns my brain off. There's another one called the Neurovisor, which works similarly. Uh, it's honestly a little more powerful. That one's almost like a psychedelic trip, but there's, there's definitely some cool devices out there that you can use. Yeah, and you're right. It's one of the real treats getting to you know, the biohacker type of shows to yeah. see what's out there, try them and, and experiment. And just for our audience, one of the things I saw when I was in practice would be um, and this goes back to maybe the first generation of the Bose noise canceling headphones. I would often you know, have a person just in the consulting room that they were going to be in there for 10, 15 minutes while I was, um, you know, looking over the chart. And I would just put those on and say, you just focus on whatever sensations are going on in your body. And just doing that, just shutting off that one sensory input, right? Um, you know, I'd come back, sometimes their hands would have gone from freezing cold to nice and warm. Their heart rate would have slowed. The same, just, you know, um, you know, one of the technology stacks is binaural beads with a vagus nerve stimulating thing, a black mask that you would wear. Yeah. Uh, when I read the, the data on that, the 80-20 rule, like most of the benefits were happening just because of the black mask. Um, again, like blocking out that input channel during the day for a brief break. So I think, you know, just for the low tech people that, you know, don't have access to some of these brilliant technologies that Ben does or I do. Um, or if you don't, if you don't want to pay thousands of dollars for a darkness <laughs> retreat in a cave somewhere. <laughs> yeah, just the thing, you know, I, I love the idea of, you know, don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can. 
And, you know, these simple hacks sometimes will get you a lot of the way there. So, you know, using a black mask, you know, over your eyes to take a, a brief break somewhere, recharge during your day after you've been charging hard at work for a bit, or again, yeah. you know, like noise canceling or like all these things can um, help the out yeah. of Yeah. And I, I should mention, I mean, I, I do know some people like to stack and they like the cool technologies and they like to maybe, you know, burn a hole in their pocketbook and try out some of these cooler things. So case in point, like I usually sleep, I'm not full on polyphasic sleep patterning. Like some people will sleep five hours a night and take, you know, three 20 to 30 minute naps during the day. But I generally sleep six and a half to seven hours a night. And then, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of step out after lunch to do a post-lunch meditation or neurofeedback or sensory deprivation session or nap or binaural beats or light sound machine for two reasons. The first is that the nature of me getting up early in the morning dictates that I've got the time when the family's not up yet and the email inbox isn't full and the phone's not blowing up to just be able to have my me time for devotions, prayer, scripture, you know, body work, deep tissue work, having water, easing into the day, eventually meeting with the family, doing a workout and, you know, just kind of like arriving at the beginning of the day, feeling as though I'm not already behind the eight ball. The other reason that I do this is kind of like the nature of being a podcaster, immersive journalist, health blogger, et cetera, is that I'm always getting devices to try. And it's like, when am I going to try all these things that are supposed to relax me? It's not going to be, I wouldn't be married if I did all this stuff in bed at night, you know, with my wife wanting to talk and chat and maybe have sex or whatever. It's like, I'm not going to do that with, with red lights coming out my head and, you know, Rishi and Rodiola and God knows what else on board. And so that afternoon time that I carve out at like 2 p.m. is almost like a time for self-experimentation with a lot of this stuff too. So for example, like this afternoon, I'll go in the hyperbaric very similar to what you described with binaural beats and a blackout mask, I'll do the vagus nerve V-light, right? So I'll be lying on my back in the hyperbaric, breathing oxygen that's pressurized. And then for example, I always kind of like pick out in the morning what that afternoon's little dessert relaxation session is going to be. So this afternoon, I'll pull on a pretty affordable kind of cool device called a Sensate. uses haptic sensations to relax you tied to beats. Like it'll play like a 30 minute, this is what I'll do this afternoon is a 30 minute session where you're kind of like riding a train and it's vibrating as you go over the tracks and it's right over the collarbone, which actually helps to stimulate and further relax the vagus nerve. This one's called a Sensei. I don't know if you, have you used that before, by the way, Greg, the Sensei? No, I haven't. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out though. It's cool. And, and every month they update the app with new tracks and new little adventures and music sequences. So it's kind of fun. You can like try out. I probably do it two or three times a week. And it increases your HRV too, which is fantastic. On oh. my ankle, I wear an additional haptic device called the Apollo. And that one is the same one I wear during a night of sleep. Because if you get up at night to pee or move, it'll start to vibrate and lull you back into sleep. But that one's cool. It can be used for sleep or relaxation or at a different frequency for energy or focus. And so I'll be laying in the hyperbaric. I'll do a 30-minute Sensate session with the blackout mask on and the Apollo on my wristband and the V-Light on the back of the neck. And that sounds like a lot, but honestly, this is, this is kind of like the next frontier of healing, 
the nervous system or helping the brain to recover or just feeling like a million bucks. I mean, I will get up from that session at like three o'clock this afternoon, having climbed into the hyperbaric at 2.15 or 2.30 and just feel like a million bucks the rest of the day. And I'm still hacking life because if you do the math, that is about seven hours of downtime per 24 hour cycle versus the, you know, seven to nine I might arguably require. And I'm able to do that with a polyphasic-ish sleep pattern where I'm playing around with a lot of these devices in the afternoon. So, you know, and, and a lot of people say, well, Ben, I don't have a home office or whatever. I am the guy who, when I did have an office outside the home, I had a sleeping bag under my desk. I had a little broom closet. That was like my little closet. I'd climb into in the afternoon. I used to do this when I just worked at an office. You know, I do it on airplanes. I do it on airports. Yeah, I did it at the office. So, you know, you just have to carve out a space, have some good noise blocking headphones, some good eye mask material, and make sure people know that you've got this one time during the day when they can't bug you. And it's, it's a definite life hack if you like to get up early, but not just feel exhausted by dinner time. Yep, I agree. It's, um, you know, I had my most stressful two periods were when I was an officer in the Navy and out at sea, where, you know, lucky to get even six hours time, you know, to sleep across a, a day. And, you know, I, f I found ways to recharge and make that um, work. The same naturopathic school, right? Pretty intense time period. I worked, you know, a, a yeah. fairly full-time job outside. And, um, you know, I think it's when we have even more demanding circumstances that it's the most important for us to carve out the time to recharge. And, you know, one of the things I know I, you know, would routinely um, mention to people, most of us are good at taking a break. Relatively few are using that break to recharge, you know, instead right. we're you know, doing a different distraction. So, you know, thanks for being one of the leaders out there, you know, exploring the technology, taking these things and working, you know, so that you can share with your audience and our audience the things you're finding that really benefit. So, um, Ben, before we part, can you just share with our audience best places to follow you? I know I, I've been following you on X for quite a while. Oh, <laughs> well, it can't be for too long, man, because it hasn't been X for that long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do. So generally in that early morning time for I, I tend to carve out at least 20 minutes to just read journals and research studies and research digests, and will often highlight two or three of them and publish them to X. So that's a good place to follow me if you just kind of want to see things I'm thinking about or cool studies I've discovered with my own commentary or threads on them. BenGreenfieldLife.com is where my main hub is, my podcast, my articles, my books, etc. Um, and then... My podcast is just anywhere, anywhere fine and also halfway mediocre podcasts like mine are found. And so, uh, so yeah. And, and by the way, I should mention, Greg, since you probably have a lot of people listening who also like to listen to podcasts, my new podcast player infatuation is called Snipped. Have you seen this one? I have not. Okay. So I'll be brief. So Snipped, uh, I, I was looking for something that would allow me to listen to audio, but somehow take notes. Like if I'm at the gym or I'm on a hike, I don't want to press pause on a podcast player, look at the timestamp, open up my notes, app, say, hey, come back and check out XYZ or look more into, because I do that a lot when I'm listening to stuff. If I'm reading a Kindle, I can just highlight and keep going. And when I finish the book, 
I go to my Amazon Kindle page and all my highlights are there. And I thought, well, gosh, like there's gotta be something like that for podcasts. So I found this snipped app and apparently they can't do it for audiobooks because of copyright issues or something like that. But for podcasts, all you do is triple click your headphones. And when you triple click your headphones, it will take an automatic highlight transcript and timestamp of the section where you've triple clicked. And you can define under your profile how long you want that timestamp to be. For mine, it's at 90 seconds, right? So it will take the last 90 seconds I've heard when I triple click and it will save those, transcribe them, highlight them. And then I've got all those on the app. And it also ties to Readwise. So every time I read a Kindle book, that feeds into my Readwise profile. And then Readwise sends me an email each week with my Kindle highlights. And it'll kind of like vary between different highlights. So I'm keeping a lot of the stuff that's important to me top of mind. Well, this app is called Snipped, S-N-I-P-D. It also syncs to Readwise. So now I'm getting all my Kindle highlights and all my podcast highlights emailed to me on a weekly basis. And you could set to daily, weekly, monthly, twice a day, twice a week, whatever. But uh, there, there's a little bonus tip for people who like to listen to podcasts. Check out the, the Snipped app. What a great tip. Thank you, Ben. And thanks again for being with us today on Collective Insights. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease, or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.